Welcome to the Pubcast, your inside look at electronic publishing. From ebooks to websites to podcasts and more, join us as we interview the professionals on the cutting edge of publishing. So I started at Emerson in the fall of 1999 as a PJ major, print journalism, which I'm sure doesn't exist anymore as a major. Um, because it probably shouldn't. Print is dying, unfortunately, but uh, trees are living as a result, so that's exciting. Um, so I started as a PJ major, and then I moved into WLP, writing literature and publishing. Mm-hmm. I was in the honors program, and um, that was a great experience for me. And so I was at Emerson until the end of my junior fall semester in fall of 2001 later in 2002 um i started that august at a new school called warren wilson college in Asheville, north carolina and um after that i went to the americorps program in the southwest and after that i got my master's degree at Teachers College at Columbia University in the city of New York, and um, after and during that time, I started doing comedy and, and uh, writing professionally, and eventually, you know, I think five years later, was able to make a living doing that. Was it always your goal to be a writer? Like, was that the big thing? Definitely, or, yeah, it was absolutely, one hundred percent. Always my goal to be a writer. That's why I went to Emerson. Um, that is why I studied what I did in high school, and um, and then at Emerson, uh, yeah, I, I was hell bent on being a writer one way or another, whether uh, it was for as a as a poet or as a journalist or as a, a novelist or an essayist. So Emerson is really where I discovered a lot of the writers and performers who mm-hmm. continue to influence me today, and so it was a great experience. I got a great education there. Mm-hmm. Is that the goal to like build up your work online and then get published? Or was it just like something you sort of stumbled into and realized like, oh, I, I have all these credits now online and maybe now I can go and get something published that I've always wanted to. It's interesting when I started. So when I, so when I was, you know, 18, 19, writing online wasn't really a thing. I mean, you might have mm-hmm. a personal journal online or communicate on like a bulletin board or, or, or through, um, instant messenger or email, but being an online journalist or an online writer really wasn't like this prestige thing in the way that it can be today. Mm -hmm. And it just was, it was definitely not accepted as much as print. And so when I started, I was so committed to doing print, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to write these amazing long investigative pieces and, and, and just be super deep and then and then transition into being like my hero Molly Ivins who did a reporting for a long time and then did commentary and did opinion stuff um, out of Texas and at, at a certain point for the New York Times and then back out of Texas and for the nation and all kinds of stuff that she did was so amazing to me. So um, then as, as time went on and the online experience evolved, I realized that it was a platform where I could get my views out and where I could also earn some money um, doing whether it was original reporting or it was commentary, celebrity interviews, like whatever it was, um, humor. And so um, I definitely realized at a certain point that building up my online portfolio was a gateway to a book deal. I certainly did. And in fact, the whole reason I have a literary agent is that um, I used to do these 
uh, interviews for a website called Nerve.com, and I would do I did these interviews called Tub Talk with Sarah B. And um, now it's getting wet with Sarah Benincasa on YouTube, but it was Tub Talk with Sarah B, where I would sit in a bathtub, fully clothed, with uh, somebody and interview them. So I interviewed the author Jonathan Ames mm-hmm. in I think 2008, and that got passed around uh, the sort of literary world. And my agent found me because of that and said, you know, I've I, I, I read some of your writing as a result of seeing this video. Do you think you'd ever want to write a book? And I said, duh. Um, but I have to say that online is absolutely the number one thing. My online stuff mm. is the number one thing that, that enabled me to get a book deal. So, yeah, like, so when you went and you sort of started thinking about what types of book you wanted to write, did you kind of go to them or your publisher? Actually, what publisher did you go through for your... So um, for my memoir, for so memoir, all my yeah. books right now are with, I have um, two out and two on the way, mm-hmm. and they're all with HarperCollins. Oh. Um, the first one, Agora Fabulous, is with a division of HarperCollins called William Morrow. Okay. So did you go to them and be like, oh, I have this big online presence, I have all these followers and stuff? That, that was would, part of the promo, yeah. I mean, for mm-hmm. sure. You know, that was part of the sort of promotional push, because mm-hmm. when you do a book proposal, you have a section where you talk about your platform, yeah. your media platform, what you're willing to do, and what you, um, what kind of reach you have online, and so having a, a reasonable, I mean, I don't have a Twitter following like my friend Rob Delaney, who has a million <laughs> people, but I had enough at the time that was considered enough to have to kind of give that extra push, and yeah. plus I had all these YouTube fans and friends and, you know, Facebook, um, or excuse me, um, Facebook fans and friends and then mm-hmm. YouTube subscribers and so, um, and, and blog readers. And so that all went into the mix and, mm-hmm. and to sort of make me a, a more attractive candidate, even though I was a, an untested book yeah. author. What was the first thing online that really got you thinking like, oh, I can make money doing this rather than just like, oh, I'm just kind of blogging for fun? Um, I think when I got hired by Nerve.com to be a dating blogger, that was, that might have been the first time I started getting paid for blogging. That was in 2006, I think. Mm-hmm. So, um, that might have been the first time. So, um, what are the other books that you're working on? The ones that are on the way? Okay, so the books that are on the way, one, let's see, so the first one was Agora Fabulous, that was out in 2012, the next one... Great was out April 8th, and the next one is called Believers, and Believers is also YA, and it comes out in summer of 2015. It is the story of a group of evangelical Christian teenagers, teenage girls from Texas who are in a show choir, and their plane crashes, and they all hell breaks loose and they act awesome. very pretty. like Lord of the Flies kind of it is inspired yeah. by Lord of the Flies awesome absolutely mm-hmm. very much inspired by Lord of the Flies but uh, but I thought it would be very interesting to put it in a modern context and Lord of the Flies was talking a lot about it was a takedown of British military culture mm-hmm. and I would like to explore the difference between people who believe without question and um, people who believe in a critical way critical thinking skills I think are very important as I learned at Emerson College and um so it's really exploring that and they're like obsessed with Taylor Swift so um so that's what that, that's believers and then the next one is comes out in 2016 and that is nonfiction for adults it's called let's grow up together auntie Sarah's guide to growing up or something like mm-hmm. that it'll be something like that yeah. 
Um, Let's Grow Up Together, though, and it's about how to become an adult or how to feel like a real adult by learning some skills that you may have missed along the way. So was it sort of a strategic move to put a memoir out first and then see what the response was like for that and see if people would go out and get your young adult fiction book now that people would know your name after that, that sort of thing? Um, not really. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to write a memoir. So that's yeah. definitely what I wanted to do. I wanted to, that was what I was writing. I was writing a lot of personal stuff and, or, um, kind of confessional stuff in that, in that way. That's very common to, I think my generation and yours. Um, <laughs> and then actually, you know, it, the thing about the memoir is uh, we, you know, it didn't move a whole ton of copies. <laughs> like, yeah. it didn't sell that great. Um, it's It sold, you know, it sold yeah. fine. It wasn't a bestseller, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? It didn't knock anybody's socks off. So actually doing YA was more strategic because okay. we figured, okay, so like my agent and I were talking about it. We were like, all right, the memoir, we wrote, did the memoir, um, have a deal with the USA Network. I'm adapting it for TV now, oh, which awesome. is exciting. Yeah. So that has traveled. That has gone beyond just just quote unquote being a story um, mm. for print. It has turned into other things, and that is what I was hoping would happen. You know, um, I was hoping it would you know either sell a lot or if it didn't sell a ton and be on the New York Times bestseller list, that um, we could option it for TV mm. and that I could get to experience writing for television yeah. or, or at least writing a pilot that mm. may or may not become TV. So. Felt like we accomplished goals there. And then we thought about young adult and we were like, it's such a rich, it's such a rich, um, field, right? Like Mm. it's, it's a rich genre. It encompasses everything from push, which is the novel by Sapphire that became precious Mm. to the hunger games to twilight. It, you know, you've got paranormal, YA, gay, fantasy, mystery, like every kind of subgenre you can imagine. So, why not play in that space and and go back to something I hadn't done in years, which was to write fiction. I mean, I don't think I'd written fiction since I was at Emerson, honestly. Maybe I did at Warren Wilson. Um, but, yeah, so it was like it, – it was it was a strategic move in that way because it was like, all right, you know, the also I had written – sort of written my whole life story up until that point. The book came out when I was 31, and, mm-hmm. and so I had written kind of everything up until I was 30. And um, I didn't really have a whole lot much else to say yet. And then in the intervening couple of years, I'm 33 now, like I I think I have more to say because of experiences that I've had. But anyway, it just made more sense to do YA. And also my master's degree is in teaching for secondary school education at Columbia. Mm -hmm. So I had taught students at – a student taught at Bronx Science in New York and taught through the AmeriCorps program in the Southwest. And – always loved and connected with teenagers and loved that age group. And also I love that age group because they're in flux all the time. They're so mutable. I mean, so are, you know, adolescents who are in college. Like I think adolescence really has extended beyond the teen era. And um, because they're so malleable and so mutable, they are wonderful characters because I can do so much with a teenage character. Mm. She's inherently dynamic. She's not a static being. She hasn't settled into who she is 100%. So all of that, you know, reasons, financial, artistic, creative, whatever, all kind of went into doing YA next. There's there's lots of people now, especially people who have um, like sort of built up 
an impressive online career like yourself that might be looking into sort of like self-publishing, especially with memoirs. Like, um, I think memoirs are probably the thing that people are going into self-publishing the most, aside from like romance novels and whatnot. So like what um sort of made you want to go with a traditional publisher rather than, because I know you might sacrifice some creative control and since you've had so much control over your own thing for such a long time, like what made you want to go to to like an actual publisher and have them do it? I wanted money. Yeah. <laughs> sweet, sweet American dollars. I wanted money. <laughs> Good I was like, answer. you know what? It's a memoir, especially it's a memoir of mental illness. And mm-hmm. I just thought, man, I went through this stuff, not by any stretch of the imagination, the hardest thing that anyone has gone through with regard to mental illness. I had a lot of support, a lot mm-hmm. of family, friends, help. Uh, but it still stunk. And I thought, let you know what? After all this time... You know, I've been telling the stories for free and cheap. I'm going to monetize this so that, you know, even if it happened when I was younger, I can still say that I made, you know, I made some buku bucks off it later <laughs> on. And I'm gonna, I decided I'm going to make this work for me yeah. quite literally. I'm going to put it to work and then take its money. Great. And um, so, yeah, it was, it was mm-hmm. financial. And also I like... The of course the the big marketing power that a big publisher has yeah. that's great the ability to do the PR as well and the ability to help in getting media placement stuff like that mm-hmm. so uh, the fact I am a very DIY person with a lot of online stuff but when it came time to publish I thought you know let's go for a big publisher because you know I I recognize the reality of the business is that generally speaking for authors you're not going to see royalties what you're going to see is what you're going to get with your advance and going with a big publisher enabled me to get a decent size advance to provide my living and so that's really why it was really just a sort of cold, hard cash situation. That said, there are, you know, amazing self-publishing success stories. I know, uh, I know Amanda Hawking a little bit, who's a, a novelist who did brilliantly well with self-publishing and then turned to the traditional sort of conventional publishing route after that. She was such an attractive candidate to them because she had proven she could do it on her own. So I think that self-publishing is another way to build yourself up online if you want to go the traditional publishing route. Mm. If you are a a real stickler as an artist and you need to have your vision realized no matter what, I say go with either go with self-publishing or be willing to fight a little bit with with your publisher. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I have had great experiences with my editors. They've been amazing, so I haven't had to do any fighting yet. Um, but that's not the case for everybody. So you kind of have to decide what's more important to you and what risks you're willing to take. There is a purity about self-publishing that I respect. There is a, a purity of putting out that singular vision that I definitely respect. You mentioned earlier that you hoped people would go out and actually buy the hard copy of the book. Does it really matter to you whether people are, you know, actually have the book in their hands or like going to the bookstore and getting it or buying an ebook or whatever? Like, does it matter to you or just care that people are reading it or would you prefer either way? I just care that people are reading it. At this point, I've realized that Kindle is so powerful and ebooks are such a powerful nook. Kindle, they're such Mm -hmm. a powerful platform. I believe most books now are sold electronically. They're, or they're, they're e-books. Like most e-book sales, I think, have overtaken 
Um, I'm not sure if in terms of quantity or I'm, I'm not sure exactly, but they're just, it's so powerful. And I know that's where the market is and where the market's continually going. And I love having the tangible quality of being able to hold a book in my hand and say, I, I did, the, I made this. Well, people at a publishing company uh, and then at a factory made this, but I made the story. Yeah. Um, but honestly, I want people to purchase it and read it however is easiest for them. And quite often that's in ebook form and that's mm-hmm. perfectly fine with me. How do you feel about about Amazon. I know, like, here we, we learn a lot about how Amazon is, <laughs> like, the big bad, you know, for publishing, but obviously it's such an amazing platform for authors. It's, like, unparalleled. Do you ever think about that, or is that not even on your mind about Amazon? Because, you know, especially, like, with the big six publishers kind of clashing up against Amazon, like, does it ever bother you as an author that that might be one of the only sort of options that people could go to to get your your work you know I am a big old liberal and I love small businesses and I love the the American entrepreneur and I love all of that stuff and all those concepts and that's important and I think that you should support your local bookstores like I just did a reading last night my LA launch event was at book soup um in Los Angeles and then I'm doing one at um books of wonder in New York City and one at Clinton bookshop in Clinton New Jersey and they're great and they're wonderful uh, but I, you know, for me, I don't know enough about Amazon's business practices to criticize it. For me, it's it's been great. Like, not that I've ever really killed it on Amazon yet, but um, it's it's providing a service. It's convenient. It's oftentimes more affordable than than other options. Um, I think the market is always going to dictate where masses of people obtain particular items. So on a micro level, am I going to go to my local bookstore, buy a cup of coffee there? Because so often now local bookstores have to be more community centers than just pushing books. And am I going to buy a book because I support them? And am I going to buy a big organic ginger cookie there also because I support them and I know the people who work there? Absolutely, 100%. Mm. Am I going to go to author events there? Would I go to music events there? Am I going to use that as a place to write myself? Sure. But if I need a book in a rush because I'm on deadline writing something about it um, and I know I need to get it tomorrow, who am I going to go with? If they can't supply that, um, I'm going to go with Amazon. And I think that's how a lot of people are. It's, it's, it's a difficult thing because I don't really know enough about the big bad aspect of Amazon to like get upset about it. I do know that I love when people buy my stuff at indie bookstores and that like I would be super excited if if I got on like an indie bestseller list. That would make me feel really, 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 really good. Um, I, I guess – I don't know. I'm also a huge fan of libraries. <laughs> so I'll have to think about it more. I'll have to actually learn more about, you probably know way more about what Amazon does than I do. To me, I'm still like just that basic consumer who's like thing, want, click, <laughs> get. And that's how most people are, I think. Not, mm-hmm. not a lot of us are, are critical thinkers when it comes to our purchasing power. So that's obviously something I should explore more. I just, yeah, I had to ask because um, of course we're, we're going to be getting a whole different viewpoint on it because a lot of us are trying to get jobs in publishing, obviously, and a lot of our teachers are veteran publishers. And so to them, Amazon is like 
trying to ruin publishing and stuff like that. So I had to, I just had to ask as, you know, someone who's had a couple books out and obviously like, like I said, the platform is so amazing. I mean, how could you, how could you turn it down? You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I feel like it's a great, it's a great way as an author to get your stuff out there and mm -hmm. to people can afford, sometimes people can afford things on Amazon that they couldn't afford elsewhere. And that's cool. And also just Kindle is just an awesome app. I mean, I, I use Amazon for a lot of different things. So I am a fan, but I'm a cautious fan now because I'm like, hmm, all right, I need to investigate this further. There's nothing can replace yeah. the experience of being at a bookstore, though. And my hope is that bookstores will continue to do, successful bookstores will continue to do what they've done, which is have an online business, have a brick-and-mortar shop, and also have a some sort of entertainment venue, some sort of food and drink venue as well, mm -hmm. so that it becomes a really comprehensive center for people who might not even be big readers. So you've got readers in there. You also got people who just want to snack or who want to see a band. Like that, to me, is, is kind of the ideal way that a bookshop should go to survive today. So since you're coming at people from a lot of different platforms, you know, like your Twitter and you have a Tumblr and now you have your books out and stuff like that and you're doing your tour, do you ever worry about oversaturation maybe? Like do you ever worry about... I don't like um, make people getting sick of you almost. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I tweet a lot and I know sometimes people are like, get over it. Stop <laughs> tweeting. Um, but oversat I think I would be blessed to oversaturate the mm. market. I think I'm so far from being um, successful enough to worry about oversaturation. I think that would be, that's like a Beyonce issue. <laughs> and so to be a Beyonce level, <laughs> Artiste. That's the dream, yeah. A dream. I mean, but the answer, I guess, that I'm trying to get to is no. I don't worry about it because I'm so far. I know I'm so far yeah. from that. I just was curious because I follow a ton of comedians on Twitter, and sometimes they'll like tweet a joke, and I'm like, oh, I heard that in their stand-up act or something. I just wonder if um, you know you ever worried about your stuff sort of bleeding together. Yeah, not really because I. Um... It, I, I think of it as it's all a conversation. It all informs each other. So mm -hmm. the Facebook informs the Tumblr, informs the Twitter, informs the Instagram, informs the, you know, everything else, the blogging and, and the videos and all that stuff. So it's, it's sort of a constant conversation, one, using one platform to promote a piece of work that's on another. And I think that, I'm trying to think of an author who has oversaturated the market now, and I think it's just so diverse now, and the publishing audience is so fractured, it's so fragmented into these different, like, genre and subgenre and sub-subgenre, like Amish romance novels, <laughs> um, kind of fan fandoms, like, we're really a big land of fandoms now that um, I don't think there's any one literary figure who has really, or, or anyone online who has really, like, just taken over too much. Yeah. I know you interact with people a ton, and you follow a lot of people. Uh, like, how do you deal with people who are just, like, oh, how, almost, how do you deal with trolls, I guess, basically? <laughs> because I know, I'm oh. sure for every, like, 100 people who are like, you're so great, you get one person who's like... I hate you. <laughs> yeah, you get, you know, you're fat, you're ugly, you're stupid. You also get, you get that. You also get you're racist, you're sexist, you're not a, the right kind of feminist. I hate you because you're a feminist. 
I hate you because you wrote about gay teens. I hate you because you're not a gay teen and you wrote about gay teens. I hate you because you didn't write enough about gay teens. I hate you because I don't like the way you portray gender. I hate you because you think about gender in a critical fashion and that makes me feel uncomfortable. Like you get yeah. everything under I hate you because you straightened your hair. I one time had someone call me a racial epithet online because I had done television curly hair. So I got, you know, a piece of hate mail from someone about about that oh who goodness. was upset that I hadn't straightened my hair. You know, people are bananas and the internet is this big void we can all shout into and it's an echo chamber and sometimes it makes us feel good to hear ourselves talk. And sometimes it makes lonely people or angry people or bitter people feel good to see someone who they feel has more status than them. Um, react to them. So sometimes I respond. Usually I don't. Um, blocking helps. You know, once in a while, if you just respond to someone who criticizes your work by saying, you know, thank you for your thoughts, um, they'll suddenly become really nice. That's not a troll, though. That's a critic. Critic yeah. is different. A critic thinks in an intelligent fashion about your work and objects to it on various, you know, for various reasons. A troll is just out to upset people and because that's how they gain that's the only way they gain any attention so sometimes I'll play with my trolls a little bit like just for fun mm -hmm. and pretend that they have stars in their bellies and that they're just adorable and little creatures for me to like provoke but generally speaking it's best just to ignore to block to you know I, I don't know how someone like Lena Dunham deals with it like if I deal with it on someone who's at a low level as me I don't know how she deals with it at her level like it's just incredible to me yeah because you put you put so much out there I mean you literally have a web series where you're in the tub with people so I'm sure that's gonna have a lot of people commenting on it and so it, the internet's great for you know getting your work out there and having people look and read your stuff but of course that just also opens the door to like a million unfortunate things you know like people just have they just have to comment you know they can't just yeah just let it go so. on, a, on a woman's work and the first thing they're gonna do mm -hmm. is call you fat and the second thing they're gonna do is call you ugly and then they're also gonna use other words that are not appropriate for podcast and especially as a woman because there are some people People who are genuinely deeply irritated by the idea of a woman being paid to be herself um, so a woman being paid to write her story or being paid to tell jokes or even not being paid just being given a platform there are some people who are incredibly jealous of people who get to be on TV like even on some talk show nobody sees or on cable access there are gonna be people who are so resentful there are people who think YouTube is uh, they don't realize how user-friendly YouTube is and how, like, anyone can use it. And they look at it as, like, you're on YouTube, you think you're a big deal. Yeah, I'm on YouTube. I also, you know, the sky is also blue, and, like, I drive a car because I know how. It's not that hard. You can be on YouTube, too. Anyone can be on YouTube, hence the title, YouTube. <laughs> But there are people who will get angry that, you know, you turned on a camera and vlogged for 30 seconds um, about cereals. Trolls come in all shapes and sizes and from every walk of life, which is sort of a beautiful equalizer as well. So what would you tell someone who maybe wanted to have a similar career as you, who wanted to, you know, like build up um, their work online and then maybe hopefully get like a publishing deal out of that. I would say marry someone rich immediately. 
or be super nice to your family and friends because you're gonna be borrowing money sometimes uh i would say um i was gonna say in all seriousness and then continue but i was being serious (laughs) um so more practical methods would be read writers who you like see what kind of writing you like whether it's online or wherever then read those authors biographies and find out how they got to do that also look at who they work with like if you're interested in writing for thought catalog for example um learn about thought catalog who edits thought catalog who is the managing editor who's the deputy editor who's the editor who's the general artistic director of feelings for thought catalog look at who contributes look at who they publish find out Do your work. Do your research. If you want to be published in a specific venue, find out how and why. Don't just fire off an email that's like, hey, what's up? Can you publish my feelings? Because that's not going to work. You need to be very specific about said feelings and show examples of said feelings and give samples that are good. Don't don't ever waste an editor's time if you can help it. Mm -hmm. So make your communications with them as um, pleasant and as brief as possible not to the point of being curt but just don't waste their time they don't have a lot of time to open attachments so sure give an attachment but also um, include it in the body of your email really basic stuff like that so those little bits of etiquette that you kind of pick up along the way and that some of which I've learned from having had editing jobs myself in the past um, are really helpful provide you know easy links to your other work if you are a food blogger and you want to write a cookbook that is fantastic but you need to know this most cookbooks that come out are not just written by any old person it's someone with a restaurant with some oomph behind it or it's someone with a real huge online following or TV or what have you so learn you know learn about that see how you can grow your online following also especially especially true for people who are working in the online space communicate with other people in the online space respond tweet at people um, not just promotional tweets but also like hey I like that thing you wrote you know put in the work to actually read other people's writing that's really important too and, and watch their videos not everybody there's a lot of crap out there you don't need to waste your time but make it a point. If you want to write for the Atlantic, know who writes for the Atlantic and what they're writing. And don't pitch them, you know, your poetry about, you know, I don't know, Doctor Who. I love Doctor Who, but I also know that the Atlantic is not going to publish a haiku that I write about, you know, Matt Smith. And that's <laughs> totally fine, but there are other places that will. So know your market, mm-hmm. be nice, don't waste anybody's time. Those would be my top three tips. This has been the Pubcast. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback by visiting us on the web at www.thepubcast.org.